Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. We're going to start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors. They donated over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This week we had Renata, Bernadette, Jean, Tiffany, Julia, Justin, Alistair, Joan, Mari, Nicole, Jennifer, Brooke, David, Harrison, Lily, Jack, and Alfie, Dino, Maria, Michael, Daryl Pia, Emily, and Heather. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Over on Patreon, we have a ton of bonus episodes available. If you run out of content here, head on over to Patreon. Yeah. Okay, Desi. This week is the conclusion of the story of Winnie Ruth Judd. Now, let me refresh everyone's memory of the book I used for my main source for this episode, It's called The Trunk Murderess, and it's by Jana Bombersbach, and it was a wealth of interesting information. She even has interviews with Winnie Ruth Judd herself that she did many, many years later. Cool. So very interesting book, very detailed. That's my main source, but I did also use a lot of old newspaper articles from the 1930s, which had some interesting info as well. Now, where we left off last week, Ruth contacted her husband, Dr. Judd, who then led her to a Los Angeles funeral parlor where he said that they would meet a doctor there who would then take her to a hospital. But instead, the police were waiting for her and she and she was arrested. So she was like, hey, what's the big idea? (laughs) Ruth told police that she shot Agnes and Sammy in self-defense during an argument She claimed that Sammy had shot her in the hand with a gun, hence the bandage that she had been wearing. As Ruth struggled to wrestle the gun away from Sammy, she shot her. She says Agnes hit her on the head with an ironing board, so she shot her too. Ruth did in fact have a gunshot wound with a bullet still embedded in her (gasps) hand. Now, this had been embedded in her hand since before she left Los Angeles. Damn. And it was rotten by this point. Gross. Ruth, uh, yeah, had this disgusting hand. This was obviously not treated properly. The bullet was still inside. But police were not buying that that was a gunshot wound administered from someone else. They thought that Ruth had shot her own hand. Oh. They're like, you did that to feign self-defense. They thought, oh, Ruth just did this back at her apartment. Yeah. After the fact. After the fact. There were witnesses, though, who saw Ruth's bandaged hand on Saturday morning at the clinic when she had to go to work the next day, including a doctor who offered to dress her wound. Ruth declined, of course. And there was one witness who even said that they saw the bandage on Friday night just after the time of the shootings. That witness was a trolley operator who picked up Ruth twice on Friday night. He picked her up at 9.30 going toward the girl's duplex and then picked her up again at around 11.30 p.m. going back towards her apartment. He said her hand was bandaged. One person came forward to dispute the claim that Ruth had a bandage on her hand, this guy, Dr. Brinkerhoff. Now, this was the doctor who had brought pork chops over to the girl's duplex. Oh, yeah. Remember that guy? Yeah, of course. Police would suppress statements made by the trolley operator, and the papers printed claims that multiple people, not just Dr. Brinkerhoff, had said that they saw no bandage on Ruth's hand. But that wasn't true. There was just one person who said he never saw a bandage. The statement from the trolley operator was never turned over to Ruth's defense team, so when he would take the stand as the prosecution's witness, he would only testify to taking Ruth to and from the crime scene that night. Police interviewed Ruth's neighbor at her apartment building, Maude Marshall. This is the same woman who claimed that Jack Halloran made a lewd comment 
on his way out of oh, Ruth's right. apartment. He made some, we didn't know what the lewd comment right. was, but it was disgusting, according to her. So disgusting. In fact, she wrote down this man's license plate. Right. So they interview her. She turned over the license plate number. This, of course, led police to Winnie's, Winnie Ruth Judd's secret boyfriend, Jack. And his name was soon splashed across papers alongside Ruth's. Ooh. And he was really rich. Rich and powerful in Arizona. It was not good for him. Among Jack's name were the names of other wealthy married men who had attended these, quote, gay parties with Ruth, Agnes, and Sammy, and a host of other young women. So very embarrassing for the house husbands of Phoenix at this point, because their names are getting printed that they were at these... They're scoundrels. They're scoundrels. (laughs) And the papers were like, all these men are married. Yeah. And they, what are they doing at these gay parties? (laughs) A headline from the Los Angeles Evening Express read, Quiz of Murder Playboy Bears Orgies. Weird loves. Weird loves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, they did not mean orgies in the sense that we would talk about orgies. They just mean parties. Okay. With multiple so, people. Not necessarily fucking and sucking. No. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty sure that that is what was happening. It seems pretty close to it. Yeah. Police interviewed Jack a few days before Ruth's arrest. Neighbors had said that they had seen Jack and his buddies partying with the girls at many liquor-fueled parties. Jack told the police that everything was fine on Thursday night when him, Ruth, and her friend Lucille, who was the nurse with the hunting tips, when they stopped by the girls' house, he told police that Ruth became jealous when he kissed Sammy. But Lucille told police a different story. She said that when they arrived at Agnes and Sammy's house that night to pick up Jack's friends... Ruth was pissed. As they waited in the car outside the duplex, she told Lucille, quote, I have had some trouble with those girls. I don't want to see them. According to the Los Angeles Evening Express, Lucille said that back at Ruth's house, they all got drunk and Jack kissed her in front of Ruth, which she suspects made her very jealous. Lucille then said that that caused a fight to break out. Jack's friends drove her home after that. But police interviews with Lucille indicate that the only kiss she saw was the ones between Jack and Ruth. Jack had also said that they'd partied at Agnes and Sammy's house that night, but that wasn't true. They never even went inside the house. Her and Ruth waited in the car before heading back to Ruth's apartment. Dr. Brinkerhoff told the police that neither Ruth nor or Lucille partied at the girl's house that night, and he never saw any kiss between Jack and Sammy. Jack was furious about being tied to the murder in the papers, and he resented being called a millionaire playboy. (gasps) He told the press, quote, I am guilty of no greater fault than being indiscreet. That's what we're saying, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Though papers around the country wrote about him in a salacious manner, he was treated with kid gloves in Phoenix. He was a big player there, of course. I mean, he was friends with a lot of politicians, with a lot of police, lawyers. Yeah, so they're keeping it on the DL. They're trying to paint him in as good of a light as possible. The Los Angeles Examiner printed a comment from Lloyd Andrews, who was the county attorney in Phoenix, who dismissed the assertions that Jack was somehow involved in the murders, saying, quote, that's nonsense. Jack Halloran is a fi- friend of mine. He's a fine fellow. Okay. So they got all these other big men right. to be like, he's a great chap. Yeah. How dare you? Ugh. I mean, he's not that great of a guy. We know he was cheating on his wife. Seriously, it's just irritating. They all defend each also, other. Also, like that doesn't even that doesn't even matter if he's nice to you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. He wasn't the only bigwig who came to Jack's defense. Senator Paul Fannin would years later say of Jack, "I knew him well and never believed he was involved. He was very high respect, highly respected. He and his family were very embarrassed by it." He made the mistake of being associated with them, going to parties and things of that nature. But no way was he involved in any sense. He was a good friend of mine, and I always respected him. So, he never killed me. <laughs> <laughs> Less than two days after Ruth was arrested, police discovered that Ruth had written, her, written to her husband while she was hiding in the department store. 
Oh. It had, this letter that she had written had been stuffed into a drain pipe in the bathroom and was all wet and torn up. So Ruth wrote out this letter to her husband and then right. tore it up and flushed it. So she didn't expect it to be found. No. Okay. But it was found and pieced back together. Right. And boy, was this exciting for Ooh. detectives and the papers alike. It's like totally worth opening up those drains now. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> stuck, someone stuck a hand in there and was like, this is worth getting shit on my yeah. hand for. <laughs> the letter said, quote, I killed in self-defense. Love me yet, doctor. In the letter, Ruth also describes packing her belongings before boarding the train to Los Angeles. She said, quote, it was horrible to pack things as I did. I kept saying, I've got to, I've got to, or I'll be hung. These statements were interpreted by the press as Ruth admitting to dismembering Sammy's body before stuffing the body parts in the trunk. Ruth also wrote that the murders took place on Saturday morning instead of Friday night. Ruth would later say that she purposefully obscured the time of death in the letter from her husband so as to conceal the fact that she was having an affair. Oh. I love the fact that she is like, like <laughs> look, I, I killed these two women, but I was totally faithful to yeah. you, baby. Like, why are you even thinking about that <laughs> at this point, right? It's I mean, so crazy. Th- I think maybe she thought, oh, that'll push him over the edge. He won't be on my side. Yeah, I never cheated. <laughs> Say I what killed, you will about me. I killed two broads, but I never got it in anywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the letter also calls Jack Halloran Mr. H, and she says that she alone was responsible. However, Ruth's brother Burton believed that his sister was covering for her secret boyfriend because she believed he would help her with her defense. Maybe. She described the events that transpired on Thursday night. She said that Mr. H bought Agnes and Sammy a new radio, that Mr. H wanted to go back to the house that night with Ruth's friend Lucille, the nurse with the hunting tips. Ruth writes, quote, I know a pretty little nurse who was taking Salverson. Salverson. Do you know what that is? No. It's syphilis medicine. Oh. But she has nothing contagious now. Ruth continues that her, Mr. H, her nurse friend, and some of Mr. H's friends all went back to her apartment and says that this is the first time Mr. H has ever been over, which, of course, is a lie. He he was over fucking her a lot, but her husband can't know that. She described the events leading up to the killings at Agnes and Sammy's place. She describes these events as occurring on Saturday morning, of course. Ruth writes, quote, The next morning, all three of us were yet in our pajamas when the quarrel began. I was going hunting. They said if I did, they would tell Mr. H that I had introduced him to a nurse who had syphilis. I said, Anne, which is what she called Agnes, Anne, you've no right to tell things from the office. You know that only because you saw me getting distilled water and syringes ready. And she hasn't had it, and she hasn't it contagious. The doctor lets her work nursing. Poor Lucille just wanted to give hunting tips. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, how did I get wrapped up in this? And now everyone knows she has syphilis on top of it. (laughs) Well, Anne said... I asked Evelyn, and she thinks I should tell Mr. H, too, and he certainly won't think much of you doing such a thing. You've been trying to make him like you, and Dr. D, too, getting him to move you. And when I tell, tell them you associate... They, wait, when I tell them you associate and introduce them to girls who have syphilis, they won't have a thing to do with you. And when we tell Mr. P about it, he won't take you hunting either. Wow. This is what this is what Ruth says that Agnes said to her okay. during this fight. Uh Ruth says uh that she next said, I said, Sammy, I'll shoot you if you tell that. We were in the kitchen just starting breakfast when she came in with my gun and said she would shoot me if I went hunting with this friend. I threw my hand over the mouth of the gun and grabbed the bread knife. She shot. I jumped on her with all my weight, knocked her down in the dining room. Anne yelled at us. I fired twice, I think. And since Anne was going to blackmail me too if I went hunting by telling them this patient of Dr. Baldwin's was syphilitic and would hand me over to the police, I fired at her. 
Anne said before Sammy got the gun, quote, Ruth, I could kill you for introducing that girl to Illel, and then it's Illel, 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 Like you. <laughs> Illeligible. How do you say that? Illegible? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm really tired. It's fine. Uh, and if you go hunting, I will tell them and they won't think you're such a darn nice girl anymore. Wow. I like that this is the conversation she remembers. <laughs> <laughs> it's so clunky. Like no one would speak like that. And then I'm going to tell them what a bad girl you are. <laughs> <laughs> While there's a gun yeah. being fired. Uh. And said... Before, oh, sorry, I just read that. Um, I don't, and then Ruth continues in the letter. I'm just continuing to read okay. the, to read this letter. I don't want to bring Mr. H into this. He has been kind to me when I was lonesome in, at the first place I worked and has trusted me with many secrets alone, hid for the girls. Wait. Such as caring for Anne, giving her extra money for the radio. He's been a decent fellow. It, um, it would separate he and his wife, and he has been too decent. Dr. Dear, I am so sorry Sammy shot me. Whether it was pain or what, I got the gun and killed her. It was horrible to pack things as I did. I kept saying, I've got to, I've got to, or I'll be hung. You can definitely tell this is a period piece because how of how excited everyone is about the radio. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. That's a major story point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these rich men would buy these women who partied at the duplex a lot of gifts, but like the big gift that everyone talks about in this story is the new radio. Yeah. It's so funny. That Jack brought over. Now, in addition to the letter found in the drain pipe, the LA Times and the Los Angeles Examiner both claimed that they had written confessions from Ruth that she had written in custody detailing her life story and the murders. The Times confession said that Ruth said she acted alone in the murders and dismemberment, but the papers in Phoenix were skeptical about the validity of these alleged jailhouse confessions. Ruth's husband, Dr. Judd, would later testify two years after the fact that it was him who penned these confessions that the papers printed, and he dictated them to a reporter at the Times. So Ruth had nothing to do with these confessions that they... I saw them... In the newspapers, I right. read. I read them, and it says, "You know, Winnie Ruth Judd tells all," and it even says, "By Winnie Ruth Judd." Wow! But she didn't write these. Her That's husband, crazy. her fuck, Doctor Judd did. <laughs> and uh, then I said, "Like, I think it's a picture of him, like making a high voice." Yeah. <laughs> and then I said, "I'll shoot you, damn it! Turn off the radio." <laughs> Ruth would deny that any such confessions were ever made for any newspaper. It was even suspected that Dr. Judd was paid handsomely for these alleged... Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Ruth was extradited back to Arizona. Winnie Ruth Judd's trial began January 19th, 1932. Oh my God, that's like almost this month. Yeah. Or like today. Wait, Wait today's the 19th. <laughs> <laughs> it's the anniversary. Yeah. She pled insanity. Her defense team never introduced her claims of self-defense. That seems like defense 101. <laughs> well, this is going to come up again Okay, to be a very bad idea. Yeah. Both Ruth's husband and her parents would testify that her mental state had deteriorated because she hadn't been able to bear children. <gasps> now, this insanity defense, everyone around Ruth just went full steam ahead with this, and they really committed to this. Okay. Like, this is what we're going with. She's insane. Uh, And then it was because, according to them, that she wasn't able to have kids. Right. The LA Times called it mother mania. Oh. They're like, she has mother mania. Yeah. She wants to have a baby, but she can't. The prosecution argued that this was premeditated murder. The motive? A growing feud between Ruth and Agnes and Sammy. Jack Halloran was called to testify for the state, but at the last minute, he was taken off the witness list. During a recess, Ruth had an outburst in the courtroom accusing the sheriff of witness tampering, charging that he had intimidated a defense witness not to tell the truth. 
I believe that this happened because it seems like she's getting railroaded. Yes. Uh, The police were very biased in this case. Yeah. And very protective of Jack Halloran and protecting his image and him in general. Ruth's mother testified that when her daughter was seven years old, she told their neighbors that they had had a new baby at home, but there wasn't a new baby at home. (sighs) She completely made it up. When Ruth was 16, she told a guy she was dating that he had gotten her pregnant, but that wasn't true. Ruth sewed baby clothes and planned as if she were having a baby for the next nine months. Later, Ruth ran away from home and went missing for two days. She was found in a haystack wearing a potato sack that she had cut armholes into. That must have been a visual. (laughs) (laughs) Ruth told people she had been kidnapped and that she was pregnant again, both untrue. Ruth's father, Reverend Harry J. McKinnell, testified that he had gone to visit his daughter in jail, and she yelled, They're trying to take my baby away from me! He testified to his daughter's obsessions with dolls and babies when she was a child. Oh my god. They're, her family's really... Yeah, like no <laughs> one... It's like she, They're really going after her here. That's crazy. Yeah, they're going for it. He told the court that his daughter was prone to outbursts when things didn't go her way. Reverend McKinnell also testified to their family's history of mental illness. It was a lot of like, well, my second cousin... Also killed someone because she couldn't have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I like how that's even like, like people have definitely killed women to get their babies and stuff like that. But I wouldn't say people have killed because they couldn't have a baby and then just killed random women. Like, right. That had nothing to do with that. It's such a weird defense. An employee at the clinic testified that Ruth had shown people in the office pictures of a baby that she claimed was hers. It was just some random baby. She's like, here's my baby. Dr. George Stevens, superintendent at the Arizona State Hospital, testified that Ruth had a picture of a baby she said was hers in her jail cell. Also in Ruth's cell were pictures of Agnes and Sammy. The doctor said Ruth was insane and delusional. However, Dr. Paul E. Bowers, a psychiatrist from from Los Angeles, testified that he believed Ruth was sane. Winnie Ruth Judd was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by hanging. <gasps> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Meanwhile, Ruth's husband, Dr. Judd, was charged with practicing medicine without a license. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) He was probably like, Ruth, see, I'm going through stuff too. (laughs) He had been arrested in December and was now awaiting trial, which would be delayed for several months as he recovered in an Arizona hospital. I'm... I think it was he was detoxing again, right? Because he was also drug addict. He was a drug addict, but he was eventually found not guilty. Also, Ruth's brother Burton was charged and convicted of obstructing traffic while he sold pamphlets that he had made called "The Truth About Winnie Ruth Judd" from his car in Los Angeles. What a loser! (laughs) (laughs) Look, this family really believed in her. Oh, I thought they were like against her at some point. The family? Yeah. No, he was su- he was selling pamphlets that were alleging that she was not. Oh, a- that I she- thought he was. I thought he was going against her. Again. Like no, no. Okay, he was trying to exonerate. His, okay, his, sorry, I his, take back the loser. Comment. Yeah, Burton was Burton's a good egg. Uh, in this instance, I thought he was selling her out. No, to make money. No, okay. no, no. Um, he wanted to prove. That she and was innocent. That she was... Or not in it It alone. was self-defense and that she wasn't in this alone. Is this the brother who picked her up at the train station? Yes. Okay. Uh, so he gets arrested and charged with obstructing traffic. Ruth's execution would continue to be delayed as she filed numerous appeals. Okay. In December, Dr. Judd declared from his hospital bed that he was going to see the sheriff in Arizona and tell him what really happened the night of the murders. But the doctors were like, sir, we can't, <laughs> let, we can't let you leave. <laughs> you're, you're in a hospital. You have a fever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> Just like seeing him try to stand and like fall down. They're like, sir, you're drunk. We saw oh, you <laughs> sneak in the whiskey. But... On December 19, 1932, Ruth herself sat down with Sheriff John McFadden to spill her guts completely for the Ooh. first time, even after her trial. Right. This is like some exclusive date line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Amanda Knox speaks for the first time. <laughs> the transcript of this jailhouse interview would be filed away, never seen the light of day for the next 58 years. Whoa. Yeah. Ruth started with the events on that Thursday night before the murders. She said, quote, well, you see, there was this girl that came to the clinic taking treatments for syphilis. She was, (laughs) (laughs) that's how her story started. She was taking Neo Salverson and she happened to mention to me that she was going to the White Mountains hunting. And I told her I knew some people that were going and I told her about this Jack Halloran. So arrangements were made for him to meet her on Thursday night. Ruth continues with the events that transpired, how Jack picked her and Lucille Moore up that afternoon and how he was already drunk when he picked them up in his car. They drove over to Agnes and Sammy's house. She also told about how she didn't want Agnes and Sammy to see her, but Jack ended up blowing oh, right. her cover, yeah. and she had to be like, hey, hey, guys. Good to see you, too. Yeah. <laughs> she also uh, didn't want the girls to think that Jack would be giving Lucille money as he had been giving Agnes and Sammy money for a while he okay. was basically supporting them at that point so she was like i don't want them to think he's also giving this woman money and now right. he's not going to give them money she just didn't want to be involved that night at all with them 
Ruth told the sheriff, um, yeah, Jack was basically supporting these two girls financially at that point. Ruth told Sheriff McFadden that the next day she had lunch with Agnes. Then they headed off to the clinic together to go to work. Agnes invited Ruth over for dinner that night to play bridge, but Ruth declined because she had work. But as we talked about in the last episode, she was really trying to meet up with Jack to fuck him. After Ruth left work, she went to the grocery store where she paid $15 for her groceries from Mrs. Wade. Ruth told Mrs. Wade that she was looking for a house to buy to live in with Agnes and Sammy and her parents who would come to Arizona from Indiana. Ruth said that she had plans the following day to meet with the realtor to look at houses with Agnes. Ruth described later that night going over to the duplex to see the girls just after 9.30. This is after she was blown off. Right. Jack never showed up at her apartment. So she went over to the girl's house like, hey, I finished my work early. Then she described the argument breaking out when Agnes asked Ruth why she would introduce Jack to a girl with syphilis. Agnes threatened to tell Jack, hey, this Lucille woman has syphilis. Ruth said she was like, she was like uh, you can't do that, and asked Agnes, what difference does it make to you anyway? To which Agnes responded, oh, it will make a lot of difference to you. Ooh. Implying that yeah. you're going to get syphilis now. Um, and also implying that she knew that Ruth was fucking Jack. I like how Ruth thinks no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> It's so crazy. Um, so Ruth then said said to Agnes, oh yeah? Well, every doctor in that clinic thinks you and Sammy are in love with each other. And Dr. Sweek and Dr. Baldwin have both told me that you were perverts. And they jerked off to it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Can we have to post a picture of Sammy and Agnes because I need to see them. Oh, Yeah. Of course, I mean, we will. I have like a very strong mental image. Yeah, but I know I'm wrong. Uh, and obviously, being a lesbian in those days was not something you could do in public. No, and definitely not. This was like a Ruth is pulling out the big guns in this argument. Yeah, like she I, went there. I will tell everyone you guys are scissoring. There's always like something you keep in a fight where you're like, I can't go that far. <laughs> right, and this was the she thing. did it. Yeah, this was the thing. This obviously, yeah, that cut that cut deep for Agnes. Um, so then Ruth says she threatened, uh, to tell the doctors at the clinic that yes, they were in fact perverts and in love with each other. And that would have ruined Agnes's social life to have such a rumor confirmed by someone who lived with them. Yeah. Like if Ruth was confirming this, she would know. Right. It wasn't just speculation. She lived with them. Ruth also threatened to tell the clinic that Agnes had purposefully fucked with the x-ray machine in an attempt to sabotage a new x-ray tech that had just been hired that Agnes was afraid would replace her. And this was true. Agnes did go in one night and like dialed up the... (laughs) Dialed up the x-ray juice. What's it called? The radiation? Yeah. (laughs) That's like a scheme like Elmer Fudd would pull. (laughs) For Bugs Bunny. <laughs> she dialed up this radiation or whatever the fuck so high that it would have burnt. Oh my God. And she did it to fuck with the new I tech. I don't care. <laughs> She's like a John Waters character. <laughs> as long as she gets fired and I keep my job. Yeah. Uh, and Ruth is like, I'll tell. Ooh. Then you'll really be ruined yeah. if I tell that story, not just your social life. So... Obviously, this would have been a career-ruining revelation. Ruth says that she then went to the kitchen, and that's when Sammy came at her with the gun, (gasps) pointing it straight at her chest. Ruth grabbed a bread knife on the table behind her. That's when Sammy shot her through the hand. Ruth stabbed Sammy in the shoulder and then in the head, but the knife, which was dull and long, bent when it hit her head. I know exactly what type of bread knife this Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> I can, think, I can yeah, feel it. Yes, I, can, I, know, I knew you would know what this was. It's one of those sprungy ones. That's really long and thin. Yes. Like, who is this for? <laughs> uh, <But> so, <laughs> look, I'm just saying Ruth's story is very believable to me so far. Oh, totally. So the knife... Hit her in the head. It bent. It didn't puncture. The two girls fell on the floor. Ruth said that she said to Sammy, give me the gun. 
And in the struggle, the gun went off, firing into Sammy's chest. She said that Sammy's finger never left the trigger when it fired. Agnes was standing above the girls yelling, shoot, Sammy, shoot. That's when... (laughs) That's when Agnes grabbed the ironing board. She stood above Ruth and said, I will brain you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know this isn't funny, but it's kind of funny. Look, this is kind of a cartoonish fight. It's just the way it's happening. I'm laughing at the explanation. Like to tell this story, you must be like, I know this sounds stupid as hell. (laughs) Right. Like in the moment, I'm sure it was terrifying. Absolutely. But when you're retelling it, with a and straight that's face. Like, I think most things just sound stupid. It's like, no, I promise you, if you were there, you would have been really scared. <laughs> right. But like in the moment, I'm sure like after the fact, Ruth was like, if all of us had just counted to 10 and taken a breath. It's insanely out of control right now. Yes. It's yeah. really out of control. So Agnes then struck Ruth upside the head with the ironing board. Ruth says she doesn't know how many times she was hit, but she was knocked on her back. Ruth and Sammy continued to wrestle on the floor. Eventually, she got a hold of the gun. Ruth told Sheriff, Sheriff McFadden that... Wait, is it Agnes she's wrestling with now? No, she's still wrestling with Sammy. Oh, so Sammy's not dead yet? No. Okay. She's still wrestling, even though she's shot. She's like, has she's all this still, adrenaline. Look, I buy that about Sammy. Yeah. <laughs> look, Sammy was small but scrappy. Yeah, she seems scrappy. Uh, so a- Agnes, meanwhile, is standing above. And Agnes was a large woman. That's my picture. Yes, of it. and yeah. she's striking Ruth with this with this ironing board, and Ruth says that every time she would stand up, she'd boom. And that's probably one of those small ironing boards that even are almost like a tabletop. Yes, it's not like the ones we use today. Probably the long ones, yeah. right? Ruth told Sheriff McFadden that Agnes continued to hit her with the ironing board, and she says she shot Agnes just as she was delivering another blow, like. Agnes was delivering this blow and Ruth shot her. Right. Like instinctively in that moment. Then Ruth said she was knocked out from the blow that Agnes had delivered. She kind of fainted or Yeah, she shot her and passed out. When she came to, she was on the floor lying between the two bodies. They were both dead. Ruth says she ran out of there and went to her apartment. And when she arrived at 11.30 p.m. around that time, Jack Halloran was pulling up in the driveway late for their date. Oh, my God. (laughs) What an asshole. Look, they didn't have cell phones. Yeah. He's like, hey, babe, I'm uh, finally here. (laughs) Oh, shit. She's like, boy, the night I've had. Yeah. Seriously. And she did. She told Jack immediately. She's like, uh, you will never believe what just happened. <laughs> uh, she said uh, to Sheriff McFadden, Ruth says, quote, we went into the house and I told him what happened and he was dead drunk. He wouldn't believe it. And he wanted me to go back over to the house. That must have been so annoying. And she hit with iron and board. <laughs> like just him like trying to focus. You know that feeling when you're talking to someone drunk? And they're like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, they're just so unfocused. Ugh. Honestly, there there has not been an instance so far of a story that Ruth has told about Jack where he wasn't wasted. Yeah. Whether it's 11.30 p.m. or a.m. Look, I have no room to judge, but that's not a great guy. <laughs> Well, he's also dry. I know like in the 30s, you could like drive drunk or something, but this guy was driving drunk a lot. I have to imagine it was still frowned upon, (laughs) even if it wasn't like illegal. Yeah. (laughs) He was driving. You know how big and unwieldy those cars from the 30s were? They had no like, you couldn't turn on a dime. It was like a lumbering. It was a lumbering gray packer and he was like, ah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) What a mess. Uh, So they went to drive to the duplex together. This is all happening around like 11.30 p.m. Ruth says that when they arrived, she saw all the lights on at the house next door and that there was a party going on. (gasps) Now, the guy who lived there, Gene, we talked about in the last episode, he would later tell police that he was sleeping and awakened by the shots. But then he had a party? Well... (laughs) No, he was just a fucking liar. Okay. Ruth and Ruth, I read like the transcript or whatever from this long ass interview she did yeah. with the police 
when she finally told her the real story. And she was like, and Cunningham, that was his last name, Gene Cunningham. She was like, Cunningham, let me tell you about Cunningham. He told the police he was sleeping when the shots were fired. That's fucking bullshit. We arrived there. He was having a fucking party at his house. a rager. He was having a rager. I just thought that was a funny thing that he he would lie about that. Ruth said that when they entered the duplex, Jack surveyed the scene. He then picked up Sammy's body and moved her to the bed. When the crime scene was investigated, there was a small blood splatter found in the bedroom. Ruth speculated that it was from Jack dropping the body onto the bed. Ruth attempted to help clean up the scene with Jack, but her hand was just too injured to hold him up. Ruth told Sheriff McFadden that she knows that Jack removed and disposed of the mattresses in the duplex. Oh. Because they were both missing when police came to the crime scene. Ruth says that Jack told her that she should let Dr. Brown treat the bullet wound on her hand. He said that he had plenty of dirt on Dr. Brown and he wouldn't tell anyone. (laughs) Jesus. But Ruth said no. Jack insisted and dialed Dr. Brown's number on the phone. As he did, he pulled down the shade, which would leave a smudged, bloody thumbprint. She said that he tried for him several times on the phone, but she never wound up seeing him. Ruth said she wanted to tell her husband, and Jack said, you cannot tell anyone about this, not even the police, especially the police. That's when he pulled out the trunks and stuffed Agnes inside of the larger one. He told Ruth his plan was to dump them somewhere in the desert. Ruth said that she put the gun in her purse and Jack took her back to her apartment. The next day, Jack called Ruth at the clinic. He told her he, quote, couldn't take care of those parties, how he planned, and that he had asked if she had seen Dr. Brown yet to treat her hand. She said no. She wanted to go to L.A. and get the bullet removed there. Jack said, okay, you're going to need to take the trunks with you to L.A., because I wasn't able to dispose of the bodies. Oh, my God. And Ruth was like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously, that put was, them in the desert. He's like, oh, I can't do it. He's probably drunk. Yeah. He was like a little too drunk even to drive to the Why desert. Why would you ever? I would be like, well, I'm not going to LA now because I'm not taking those trunks. <laughs> are you kidding me? And Ruth was like, what the fuck? I can't transport exactly two dead bodies to LA. And Jack was like, well, too bad. I can't help you anymore. Oh, my God. The next night which was Saturday, Ruth and Jack returned to the duplex where she found the bodies both packed up inside of the trunks. Jack told Ruth that he had, quote, operated on Sammy. Remember, Sammy was found dismembered. Oh, right. In the smaller trunk. Oh, gross. It was only Agnes who was left intact inside the larger one. So Jack is like, okay, I operated on Sammy, Ruth told the sheriff, quote, he thinks he is Dr. Buckley. Every time he gets drunk, he thinks he's Dr. Buckley from Buckeye. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Look, exactly. I looked it up, sounds like an own. Uh, it was. Uh, Dr. Buckley was a pseudonym that Jack had used before when he snuck into a hospital one night posing as a doctor oh because, because he wanted to pick up nurses. Jesus. He had a real thing for nurses. It sounds like. Right? Yeah. So he was like, this is Dr. Buckley. Oh my God. That's such a loser move. <laughs> <laughs> but I do appreciate that Ruth is owning him from jail. Oh, absolutely. She's, She's like, like, and by the way, <laughs> sit down for this one. <laughs> we all know why he said operate. He wanted to sound smart. Yeah. I like that. She's. <laughs> It is pretty funny. I mean, that's all you have at certain point is to just take people out. (laughs) You got to do it. (laughs) Jack never specified to Ruth whether or not he himself dismembered Sammy or if he had help, maybe from his friend, Dr. Brown. But she believed that he had the skills necessary considering he cut up deer all the time when he went hunting. True. When Jack left Ruth... He told her to look for a man named Williams or Wilson that would be waiting for her at the train station in Los Angeles. Ruth revealed to Sheriff McFadden that she was never waiting there for her brother at all. Interesting. The whole time she was always waiting for some dude that Jack had called on to help her. Who never came. Who never arrived. Or was a lie. Yes. Yeah. 
Before Ruth's trial, she had been advised by her attorneys to keep quiet about this story because she told her own attorneys this whole story before the trial even began. Right. But they advised her to keep quiet about this and they promised her that they would have Jack Halloran testify and that they would, quote, tear him to shreds on the witness stand. But they were like, we're going with the insanity defense. Right. Just keep this quiet. Hold tight. She's like, yeah, but... He was involved. Yeah. Like, I need to tell this story. This is, it was self-defense. This is what happened. Right. Like, help me. But, of course, Jack would never testify at her trial, and Ruth would remain silent under the advisement of her lawyers until now, of course. Jack Halloran was arrested and charged with accessory to murder. He was released on $3,000 bond, and Jack's lawyers asserted that these claims were baseless. Ruth then told her story to the grand jury. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ruth testified at Jack Halloran's preliminary hearing, detailing the events of the killings, telling of how she was covered in bruises by the end of the ordeal, and too wounded to help him clean up. She reiterated that this was self-defense. She told of how Jack cleaned up, dismembered Sammy's body, and stuffed the two women into the trunks before essentially leaving Ruth high and dry. The second day of Ruth's testimony was an emotional one. At one point, she yelled at Jack, quote, I hope you suffer everything Anne's mother and my mother and Sammy's mother have suffered. Ooh. She really yeah. had an outburst in this She's hearing. like, I'm over you now. Yeah. <laughs> in a big way. <laughs> Ruth's neighbor, Maude, testified that she heard a car pull up at Ruth's apartment that night, but she wasn't able to identify if it was Jack's car. Uh, The woman, the grocer named Mrs. Wade, who Ruth had bought groceries from the day of the killings, testified Ruth paid her $15. The prosecution used her testimony to corroborate that Ruth had no money of her own for the train ticket and that Jack must have lent her money. Right. Retired Phoenix police captain Hugh Ennis told the author of this book that I used for my source, The Trunk Murderess, of his own suspicions of whether or not Ruth even killed Agnes and Sammy. He said, quote, I think it's up for for debate if she killed those girls or not. The whole trail of the investigation and the way the case was prosecuted just raises too many questions. If she killed them by herself, there wouldn't have been a need for a cover-up. But we don't know there was but we know there was a cover up. The bodies were stuffed into trunks. One was cut up. She took them to LA. All that is evidence somebody was trying to cover up the crime. And we know she was incapable of carrying off the cover up by herself. So why would somebody help her? It makes no sense unless somebody was trying to hide their own complicity in the murders. He wonders how Ruth could have moved the mattress and disposed of them all by herself. That's so hard. Without a car. I can't even like lift my mattress sometimes. Dude. <laughs> like, I've flipped, heavy. I have like flipped my mattresses before. Yeah. I'm like in a complete sweat afterwards. Yeah, to move one by yourself is crazy. And dispose of them. No. They they were never even found. Yeah. So they'd have to be taken someplace far out. Also, she didn't have like a truck. Right. Yeah. She I didn't mean, even have a car. Yeah. So I mean, I think. Ruth's story is probably the closest to the truth. I do too. I think that's probably the truth. I don't think she didn't not kill them. I don't even know if it's necessarily self-defense because it seemed like a brawl. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they were all, they it's were, not exactly like she killed them in cold blood right? or went there intending to. Yeah. yeah. This was not a uh, premeditated. Also, it sounds like it's not even her gun. Well, right, because it was Sammy's. Yeah. yeah. A guy named B.O. B. Smith, he was known as the fingerprint man. He, <laughs> like, but that's what they called him in the L.A. Times. Yeah. But he was like a forensics. He's like an early forensics 
But it was basically all made up then. Yeah. He's, <laughs> they called him the fingerprint man. He was called to testify about the smudged, bloody thumbprint found at the scene on the window shade. Ruth, of course, had oh, early, right. had said that Jack had pulled down the shade after carrying Sammy's bloody body to the bedroom. The thumbprint was never identified, and the discovery of the thumbprint was never even mentioned in Ruth's trial, even though it had been collected as evidence by Sheriff McFadden. Oh. This was more evidence that was like buried. Right. Sheriff McFadden's daughter, Helen, would later say, quote, My father tried so hard to solve this case. Dad always thought there was a cover-up about what really happened, and he wouldn't let it go. Helen recalled the death threats her father received for trying to get to the bottom of the case, both in and out of the police department. Oh, like police, yeah. people in his own department were like, leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says that his meddling in this case would eventually ruin his career. She says that people even accused him of being Ruth's boyfriend. Ooh. They're like, he must be fucking, yeah. he must be fucking Why her. does he care so much? <laughs> <laughs> The case against Jack Halloran was dismissed. <gasps> no. He was a powerful man. How come I never heard of him? <laughs> <laughs> As for Ruth, her death sentence was overturned and she was committed to the Arizona State Asylum. Over the next 30 years, Ruth escaped six times. Nice. The seventh and final time she escaped was October 1962. So she's older then. Yes. In her 50s. Yeah. Ruth had been given a key from a nurse that she was friends with who worked at the hospital. Nice. Ruth was popular. She seems fun. She was fun. She did like all the hair and makeup for the girls there. Ooh. So she was given this key by the by a nurse who worked there. She The nurses like her too. Absolutely. <laughs> she escaped by walking out the front door. Love it. Ruth would keep the key as a sacred memento until the day she died. This is some real Titanic heart of the ocean <laughs> yeah. shit. What's this, Grandma? <laughs> when Ruth escaped the hospital that seventh and final time in 1962, she fled to California, to the Bay Area, where she assumed a new identity, Marion Lane, a good Christian woman who was a widow. Her niece, nephew, and brother Burton aided in her escape and helped set her up in an apartment in Oakland. Ruth managed to land a job working for the wealthy Nichols family. She was a live-in maid and caretaker for the family's matriarch, Ethel. Ruth, Ruth moved into their Piedmont mansion, and the family lavished her with gifts. Nice. I looked up this mansion. It was recently for sale, and it's really huge and gigantic. Right. And I read the description of it. No mention whatsoever of harboring a fugitive. That seems like a selling point. Absolutely. <laughs> One Christmas, she received a sapphire ring en <gasps> engraved with her initials. This is how much this family loved her. Oh, my God. They gave her the nicest gifts. Yeah. She became very close with this family, and at 57, Ruth was living her best life. Sounds like. When she was 60, she went back to school, night school <gasps> at the Oakland College of Medical Assistance. And though she was hired immediately at, at a doctor's office after she graduated, she declined. She made way more money working for the Nichols. Yeah. They were paying her a lot, too. And giving her a lot of perks. Yeah, and she lived rent-free. Yeah. In their mansion. In their heads. <laughs> <laughs> in 1967, Ethel Nichols died. Ruth spent the next year and a half living in the mansion with the rest of the family. Afterwards, she moved into a guest house on the property of the Nichols' daughter and her husband. It was a beautiful country farmhouse just below Mount Diablo. Everything in Ruth's life was picture perfect until one day in 1969. On June 27th, police showed up at her house and picked her up and took her down to the station. No. They questioned her. Do you know anyone named Winnie Ruth Judd? And Ruth was like, nope, doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> She said, I, I think there's a senator named Judd. Is, that, is nice. that who you're talking about? She played dumb. Yeah. Police told her that a car registered in her name, Marion Lane, which is Ooh, what she was yeah. going by, was found parked at the scene of a murder in San Francisco. Oh, no. Ruth did not drive, but she had recently bought her nephew a car. 
So it was his car registered in her name that was parked at this scene where there happened to be a murder. This sucks. Yeah. She always bought stuff for her nephew as he had said to her, you know, I can always turn you in whenever I want. (sighs) So this nephew was kind of a little shit. Yeah. Police had heard the name Marion Lane before. It was long ago once believed to have been an alias for Winnie Ruth Judd, as she had used it one time all the way back in 1939 during one of her escapes from the asylum. So that name made their ears perk up. Okay. The cops fingerprinted this woman going by Marion Lane, and lo and behold, it was Winnie Ruth Judd sitting in their station. Fucking nephew. (laughs) (laughs) The Nichols' daughter and her husband came to Ruth's aid immediately when they saw Ruth's picture splashed across the news. Ruth hired defense attorney Marvin Belly. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he fought really hard for her to not be extradited back to Arizona. He even went toe-to-toe with Ronald Reagan and his aides fighting (gasps) on his client's behalf. Nice. But if you've listened to this podcast, you know what a piece of shit Ronald Reagan is. Look, he only he only lets his friends who murder go. Right. <laughs> Not this woman who's turned her life around. Right. Just lifelong assholes that he's known. Right. Abusive. Spade Cooley. Pieces of shit named <laughs> yeah. Spade Cooley are okay in Ronald Reagan's book. Ronald Reagan signed those extradition papers so fast. Ugh. He's like, get her ass back to Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and Marvin Belly had this to say. He said, quote, The woman who stands before you now has been, re- ha- has been as rehabilitated as any woman can be, or rehabilitation is a mockery. True. And I agree. Good point. This woman is not a threat to society. She's, she's paid her dues. She's paid her debt. She's, I mean, it's, it's probably even self-defense. Right. So... I mean, seriously. She was clearly railroaded right. by the cops and the legal system Absolutely. in Phoenix. After two years of legal shit, Winnie Ruth Judd was paroled in 1971. And in 1983, she was finally free as the state of Arizona issued her a complete discharge. And she's an old lady at this yeah. point. Uh, so she was not a parolee anymore. She then moved to Stockton, California, where she lived until 1998 when she died. What was she, like, thousand? (laughs) That's really old. She was in her 90s. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it's good she lived so long, so she had some years free. right? Right. Yeah. Right. What a wild life, though. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and pretty wild that this woman who wrote this book, Jan Bombersbach, Got to interview her in 1990. I was wondering, I was like, how old is this fucking book you read? Because, <laughs> you know, I was like right. thinking. No, the book I believe came out in 1992. Well, now it makes more sense that she was able to interview her. Yeah. I mean, before I was like, Jesus, this book must be old. There was like nothing else written on it before or. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but she's still pretty old. It's amazing she was so lucid for it. Yeah. And she uh, was, you know, still very uh, sharp. Yeah. As she was being interviewed by this woman. She sounds kind of funny. I mean, yeah, I I've, like when she called out Jack. Totally. That was hilarious. Yeah, she called him out numerous times. Like, she she had so many good barbs. That's the best feeling when you finally get over a bad guy and you're like, I hate you. <laughs> this feels so much better than being sad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That, that thing clicks and you just like fucking hate like, them. You suck. I, I love when you bad things happen to you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, very annoying that Jack never got more Classic. than a slap on the wrist. Classic. He was rich and powerful. Yeah. And drunk. But again, never heard of him. Heard, no. of, heard of Winnie Ruth Judd. That's true. I have to say, just from the, the little knowledge I knew about this case, I just thought, I never thought that she was innocent. I I didn't realize that this was a, well, not innocent, but I didn't realize that this was a case that was actually not so cut and dry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. I was like, oh, this woman killed people. (laughs) Like, like it was like her thing. Right. Then you hear the details and it's like, oh, wait, no. This was a tragedy that happened that wasn't planned. It was an accident. It was like a melee or melee, however you say it. A melee? Is that, you you say it melee? Melee? It's Malay. 
Really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that word said out loud. Dude, I'm only going to call it Mealy now. Mealy? <laughs> melee. Like, melee. Like M-E-L-E-E. Melee? It's a Malay. Okay. We need to go. That look. sounds too fancy. No. Because I always feel like it's very low class. <laughs> like fight. <laughs> Dude, it's a Malay. It's French. Well, I'm not French. Well, <laughs> I'd say it the American way. <laughs> Like an idiot. It's Malay. Okay. I'm not fighting. I say a lot of words wrong. What? Okay, wait. This is what dictionary.com says. Melee. Melee. See, we're all wrong. We're all wrong. See, this is why dumb bitches should never argue. (laughs) (laughs) They one of them thinks they're right, but they're both wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of them gets on their high horse. Here's my problem. You should write me if you have this problem. I read so much as a child, many words I never heard said out loud. So yeah. I say a lot of words wrong. Um, but it's just nice to keep finding new ones. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I ran out eventually. But nope. That's how much I read. I like Mealy. I didn't think I was even saying it necessarily correct, but I thought it was more like that. Yeah. But I don't know that I've ever heard it said at all or the same way. Two times. Because it's not a word you hear very often. You read it more often, I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, anyway. Well, now we know. Now we, lo- we, know. we learn so much doing this show, Desi. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> we are learning all yeah, the time. Absolutely. Uh, so that was an interesting case. Yeah. I like that lady. I'll post more pictures. I even found a picture of her with her cat. Ooh. Because she was a cat lady. I want to see Jack, too. Not hot enough. No. To, I mean, there's no way. Not hot enough to lose a night's sleep over this guy. <laughs> Let me just say that. Okay, sounds good. We're, we're not fans of Jack Halloran. No, I hate him. Yeah, I, hate I was him. just hoping he wasn't hot. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But I'll post more pictures of okay. Winnie Ruth Judd on our Instagram, and we will see you all on Friday. Bye. Bye.